Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Live Dharma Sunday for May 22nd, 2016. Koyo Kubose here. So very glad you joined us. Oh, boy, boy, boy. This is a tremendous weekend for us here at Bright Dawn in Coarse Gold, California. It's our annual lay minister induction ceremony weekend. Yesterday we had a training session on conducting religious services, and today at 10 o'clock Pacific time, we'll have our induction ceremony, and four hardworking individuals will be inducted as Bright Dawn lay ministers in our new Sierra Sanctuary. And uh, we have several that come from Florida and one in upstate New York and one from San Jose, California. Uh, Yesterday we had a Tisarana ceremony for those that did not have a Dharma name. Uh, Every inductee, whether they have a Dharma name from another tradition or not, we always give them the Yo lineage. By the Yo lineage means every Dharma name has two Chinese characters or kanji, and the second one is common to everyone in our way of oneness lineage, and it's pronounced Yo, and the written character means the sun, S-U-N for bright dawn. And then the first character is more personalized. So we have um, we have (laughs) Sayo and the Sai is a plant because this individual is a master gardener. So he's a plant son. And we have uh, Genyo. Gen is a foundational or root or source, so we say original sun, okay, and we have uh, Kiyo, Ki is joyful, joyful sun, and we have Seiyo, Sei is living, a living sun, okay, and so we had the Tisarana yesterday, and that was very nice. So all our Bright Dawn Lay Ministers, I think you must have about 30, over 30 scattered across the country, one in Brazil, and including Hawaii, and they all have a yo for their second kanji character in their Dharma name. And in fact, our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse today is Andy Goyo. Go is strong. Okay. He's a strong son. <laughs> he was part of the LM4 group to go through. Today we're going to induct their LM8 group. So our program's been rolling along. Andy Goyo lives in the East Coast in New Jersey. And uh, karma works in mysterious ways. Uh, I knew him, used to play sports some 30, 40 years ago, every weekend when he was a grad student 
at uh, in University of North Carolina in Greensboro, and and I was on a psychology faculty, and we were a very young faculty, and so we played uh, ball with the grad students and uh, basketball and touch football in the parks on the weekends, and uh, Andy was a very strong player. Um, he got his Ph.D. in psychology and behavioral therapy, and he specialized in with autistic children, teaching educational materials to institutions, and his wife, I think, designed some of the educational materials, and he travels all over the world, uh, including Japan and Europe, invited by different uh, uh, public school systems or whatnot that can give instructional material and train up the teachers that work with autistic children. And, uh, uh, you know, I knew him 40 years ago, and then there was maybe a 30, 35-year where we lost track of one another, and then, by golly, through some mysterious karmic ways, he found Bright Dawn in our lay ministry program, and uh, that's what happened. So without further ado, I'm going to ask Andy Goyo to join us today. Thank you, Sensei. I have many fond memories as well, and um, slightly less strong these days. As uh, I had foot surgery about a month ago, um, accumulation of lots of those basketball games and everything else. It's all things I've done to my body, so it's all okay. But uh, I wrote a little something for today, and uh, I'm just going to read it to everybody. Uh, When we talk to other people, who is listening and who is our intended target? It seems obvious when I speak to someone else, my words are directed to them. So I hope they are listening. But I'm also listening. Could I be speaking simply to myself out loud? I've had many recent conversations, orally and in print with my son-in-law, and I've encountered this refrain many times from him. I'm not arguing with you. This phrase is almost always followed with a qualifying but or similar permutation. My inner reaction is often along the lines of, how would this sound be written if you were arguing? Or I think I should ask if he's ever read what Shakespeare said about Ophelia. So I essentially wonder whether I'm not arguing is meant to dissuade me from responding and thus arguing with him, or if he is trying to convince himself that he is truly simply on the path to enlightenment, if only we would all agree with him. This reminded me of reading examples wherein students of the Buddha would come and present discussions led by other people, often other experts. For example, in the Pali text entitled, and I'm sure I won't pronounce this properly, the Udana, translated by John Ireland and cited by Stephen Batchelor. Uh, it's noted, thus I have heard, and they lived quarrelsome, disputatious, and wrangling, wounding each other with verbal darts, saying, Dharma is like this, Dharma is like that, Dharma is not like this, Dharma is like that. These disagreements would include arguments such as, the self and the world are not eternal. The self and the world are both eternal and not eternal. 
The self and the world are neither eternal nor not eternal. Students came to the Buddha so he could essentially end the argument. And how did he respond? Well, the text continues, Then, unrealizing its significance, the Buddha uttered on that occasion, This inspired utterance. This humankind is attached to self-production or holds to production by another. Those who have not understood this have not seen it as a dart. But one who sees, having drawn out the dart, does not think I am the agent, nor does he think another is the agent. This humankind is possessed by conceit, fettered by conceit, bound by conceit. Speaking vindictively because of their views, they do not go beyond samsara. For me, essentially is saying there is no winning argument. We act and thus speak as if there were some unique, special person inside who has the only true perspective on the way of the world. And Buddha's response is essentially, how would being right or wrong in these issues improve the life you live? How will it lead to being content with the world as it is? So many people on various types of social media post, share, comment, not to show how varied and truly weird is the world, but how well they understand it and how essential it is for others to accept their point of view. But here's the rub. I like to teach. I like to think that I am good at helping others become better teachers, whether within professional duties or within the family. Am I telling people things I simply like to hear myself say? Or am I saying things that will help them improve their lives, the lives of the children they live and work with, or be more content with how the world is? We recently collected data showing that a very large number of people came to our company's workshops around the world in 2015. But the moment I wanted to proudly share the information, I was also hit by viewing it as potentially bragging, crowing to the world to, look at me. How do I know if I'm simply being argumentative and not trying to expand someone else's point of view? I honestly don't know the answers, but I think that my study of the Buddha and my interactions with my Sangha and my senseis has led me to ask these questions more and more and not be scared by the lack of clarity. So I thank all of you and congratulate our newest group. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, the topic of, well, I suppose it comes under right speech, um, which is a very broad topic. Well, of course, you're not supposed to lie, and we should say kind things. And and as it also says, if you can't say something nice about someone, don't say anything. Uh, these are nice, nice idealistic quotes, but... Human beings with the language, and language means a spoken speech, and we talk to ourselves, we express ourselves, our language uh, interacts with our experience. Uh, there's a argument, uh, K. 
can you experience something that you don't have words for? It's not a provable thing, but Benjamin Worf and linguistic relativity models say, uh, you know, what came first, you know, language or experience? And on one end of the discussion argument is that, well, if you don't have your language will dictate what you experience. Not the other way around. It's not like you have this experience and no words for it, and then you have to create a words in order to describe it. Now, that's possible. But the other side of the argument is, is that if your language does not have the appropriate words, you will not experience that emotion or thought. So as I said, it's, it's a discussion topic, not something that can be empirically proven one way or the other, but it certainly gives us pause to explore the power of language and words. For example, they say that for Inuits or Eskimos, uh, you know, snow is very important to them in their culture, and they have a lot of different words for different kinds of snow. Not just different adjectives to describe snow, but different words that describe the different types, physical types of snow, because it's very important to, to distinguish the different kinds of snow in that culture. Um, they say that the Hopi Indians have no past tense or future tense in their language. Everything stated in the present, and maybe it's just the context that tells the time dimension. I know it's true that in Japanese language, a lot of times there are no, there's no pronoun or subject. They just say, going to the store. They don't say, I'm going to the store, or he went to the store. Maybe so the, again, the context makes it obvious, you know. Um, does this influence uh, the sense of individuality or sense of self when they don't use a personal pronoun in their language so much? If a certain language has a preponderance of certain kinds of emotional adjectives, supposing the language had a lot of adjectives for peace of mind, harmony with others, or supposing the language was dominated by negative emotional words, you know. If you grew up in that culture with that language, it certainly makes sense that you're going to be influenced okay, by how your language is. And that's kind of a, well, how scary almost, you know. It's so pervasive, the influence. And it makes us pause. Uh, when we talk to ourselves, it behooves us, to, when we say self-reflection or introspection, how we express ourselves. And maybe sometimes we have to challenge our self-talk, you know, and look at the assumptions or meta-assumptions behind our language. Uh, if someone talking to you, and I know that Andy Goyo, when he works with people, 
the concepts that are expressed by by through the language really directs experience and part of it, I think, part of your training job is to tell them to try to instruct people who are viewing autistic children the choice of adjectives and words okay, is important because it makes you think in a certain kind of way. And of course words are powerful. If we, if we use swear words, you know, it's very powerful. And uh, in fact, I remember uh, I'm trying to exa- I'm trying to remember the the example. Let's say you go to visit someone, and they have a a dog that jumps around, jumps on you. Well, <laughs> if it's a friend's dog, then you say, "Oh, this dog is very spirited." But if it's just an acquaintance, not a close friend's dog, same behavior, same dog. You say, he's wild. If it's a stranger's dog that jumps on you like that, same behavior, same dog. Okay, hypothetically speaking, you say, you know, uh, see, he's vicious. This dog's vicious. Okay, same behavior, but different adjectives. Spirited, wild, vicious. It communicates the perception of the person that's speaking, not just an objective labeling, a description of some, you know, something in the outside world. So this means we better be careful how we talk. And not just the words, too, the tone and everything. I mean, this is a big topic. Uh, And that kind of self-introspection, which is the modus operandi of Eastern philosophy, is... You know, don't look for the answers out there. Okay? That's all well and good in scientific aspects, but for spiritual growth, you better look at how we were conditioned and how we talk. Uh, we find this prevalent in the Buddhist literature where people talk to one another, whether it's teacher to student, they have a mondo, kind of like a verbal interaction uh, or koan study. Uh, And how we respond to verbal criticism, you know, the Buddha, he didn't get upset when people criticized him. And if you're a teacher, Or if you're a prominent person, there's envy, jealousy, uh, all kinds of things that people want to tear you down. But he never listened. And Ananda said, you know, Lord, you got a lot of criticism today during your talk, but it didn't seem to bother you. And so the Buddha said, if I presented a plate of filth to you, would you accept that? And Nanda said, no, of course not. Well, who does it belong to? Well, it's the person who still has it. He said, that's how I treat this situation. If someone says something to me and I look at it, and if it does have something to do with me, a suggestion or valid criticism, I'll use it. 
But if it doesn't really have anything to do with me, it's more something telling about the speaker than any empirical aspect to me, then I don't, it doesn't, it's not my business. Very straightforward. But a lot of times our ego emotions cannot handle that kind of thing. You know, there's a classic story of the father and the son who's riding a donkey to town, and then people along the road say, start to say things like, why are they walking? Why isn't the, the father riding the donkey? The son should put his elderly father on the donkey. So they, they overheard that. So it's, oh, Dad, you better get on the donkey. And then, of course, down the road, they hear the comments by people. Oh, look at that father. He's making the son walk. And so, oh, okay, get, and so on and so forth, okay? Uh, in the Dhammapada, it says that the world, will, the world will always find a way to criticize you. They'll criticize you for talking too much, for not talking enough, for being silent. So we really have to not have deaf ears to comments, but to be very honest with oneself. This is part of enlightenment, part of saying, you know, is that make a difference here, what's being said or what I'm saying and the content? If you say something like, if somebody says to you, uh, I want to be honest with you, you know there's not going to be something pleasant coming down the road. In the name of honesty, maybe they're, they're expressing some unnecessary attack. Not always, but I remember Anne Rand. She had the objectivist philosophy of her own and a certain way, you know, way of living. And she says, if anybody wants to know what my philosophy of life is, I'm willing to share it. But it's not a discussion. I'm not going to defend my position. That's not the purpose. If they want to hear my position, I'll share it. But it's not a dialogue. I don't know. I don't have the need for that. Okay. That shows a, very, a lot of awareness about how language works, the dynamics of it in an interpersonal sense. But I think the most important thing is challenging one's own self-talk. Because we have a lot of irrational statements based upon certain assumptions. And uh, unless we, we think we're rational, but man is not a rational animal. He's a rationalizing animal. And this is where... Just like we look at the the Buddha, say, and humans, okay? Even though a Buddha is a human, okay, we could say, hey, there's some, there's an aspect of 
enlightened speech and unenlightened speech. Okay? That's just for conversational purposes here. And being able to to see the difference that ego-based speech goes through a filter and is uh, biased in a certain kind of way, you know, even objective, the most objective scientific things is still relative. It's relative to a certain theoretical model, you know. It's not that when those models change that one model is wrong or not. So it's not a matter of truth or false, but it's a matter of how useful these things are. It's more useful to look at the world with Newtonian physics than the prior model. That's what we call paradigms. And what a paradigm shift is. So spiritually, it's the same thing. We need a paradigm shift in the way we talk and express ourselves. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a very beautiful day. Thank you.